Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and gamers of all ages. It is us. You've already heard our intro, but yeah. BFG crew sitting in the his house, sweating our balls off because it's summertime. Yep. We're here to bring you interesting characters, and of course, I am the one, the only, the original, the OG game goblin himself. Sitting along with... Kelsey Kent, the Lord of the Fucking heat. Okay, Elmer Fudd. And also sitting along with... Darth Blasphemous, hail to the dark side. The dark side. Well, that's where the have... shade is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We need the dark side right now because it's clear skies outside. It's oh, so irritating. <laughs> Just because we are darewalkers more than you are doesn't give us any less right to complain about. It the... says specifically, specifically on. The character data sheet, all the way back. See now you got me doing it. All the way back to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. My species has dark vision. We don't do well in highlight situations, nor do we do well with Miller highlight. Ah, it's Miller time. Miller time. Ugh, goodness. We'll mm. never get a sponsorship like that. Uh, we'll never Nor do we a, care. We're, we're, we'll never get a sponsorship anyway, and I'm not really gonna shill for any. Like the ones who are actually out there sponsoring people, half of them, I would look at them and be like, "No, why?" I don't know. I wouldn't mind fucking toting for Wormwood Games. Um, I wouldn't mind you know shilling for Privateer Press, but I doubt I'm ever gonna get a call from them. True. Just saying. Not that I'm endorsing Privateer Press because, you know, they actually make quality games and I'm an asshole. <laughs> but we're actually talking about character stuff today in your D&D game. Interesting characters, fun characters, character concepts, characters that we've come up with. Just an all-character session for your roleplay needs. And I mean, it really comes down to playing the character within the rules. Do they always go about trying to subvert the rules? Some good examples of interesting character creations. Just really anything about how you can do more. Because we've talked before about doing the voices, about doing mannerisms, having, you know, this whole deal set up. But you, Game Goblin, have told us about a character that you basically turned into an AI because... Your character knew what they were going to do really before you did. Yes, they did. Uh, this character was back early on in Vampire the Masquerade 2nd Edition, and they had just come out with a fresh book. Uh, it was Clan Book. Or no, actually, they didn't even come out with a Clan Book yet. It was uh, just a Clan description for Clan Bali. And they came out with a path called Path of Infernal Revelations, and it states specifically on both of these. On the clan, it says, Note to GMs, do not let your players play this clan. It says specifically on the path, do not let player characters play this path. And I read these, and I'm like, well, this is interesting. It must be, like, really bad stuff. And I'm, I'm pretty fluent with the uh, vampire stuff. Even at that point, I had most of the books and I played a lot of games. So I do some more in-depth reading on it and I see nothing. Not a thing that says that this is not a viable uh, character combo to play in a game. I just don't see it. So I talked to one of the more forgiving DMs I had at the time. And he has pretty much a similar philosophy I do in running games. And he looked it over real quick, and he goes, yeah, it's fine. Go ahead. You can make one if you want. And, of course, this is really bad things to say to most players. You know, go ahead, make whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when you're referring to Game Goblin. Yeah. Or other people who have, like, minds who are like, ooh, 
power choices now. Well, he's not a games lawyer. He's a games molester. I'm a rules molester. Yes, that is my title. I've actually got a merit badge for that. I passed uh, rules lawyer port. Uh, I well rules lawyer slash power gamer. I left those titles behind when I made a character in those for for those who know the rules in Vampire: The Masquerade. Uh, basically second edition this was back around 1997 I made a character who had 13 dice of soak and seven of those dice were automatic soak so the first seven points of damage I take were automatically negated and I have 13 dice of soak which means for the soaking the rest of the damage I basically can roll eight dice in every success to save is damage I don't take and by the rules like a um, fully automatic rifle does uh, like seven dice of damage so even if I roll no successes I have automatically negated the first six points of damage on a weapon that does seven and that's a high-end weapon so that's a lot and I take and on top of that the character took half damage from everything but fire and sunlight so and, and by the rules too, like if I got to play the character too, I think it was about 10 XP. I would take half damage from everything but sunlight and take no damage from fire whatsoever. Oh yeah, fire. Yeah, this is a vampire who doesn't suffer from rosh wreck or any of that crap. So I kind of one of the guys, you know, he looks over the character sheet and he's like, "You made this?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's legitimately by the book, 100%." entry level character so no XP added no uh, jockeying of numbers beyond what's in the books for making a brand new character and he goes yeah you're a rules molester <laughs> you, you just touch the rules in a way to get them to do what you want and then get away with it somehow <laughs> uh, so my character my Bali uh, to circle the bike back around was something of this nature in a way but it was more of an experiment, a curiosity. Why can I not play this? Why, why is it written in the books? You know, players shouldn't play this clan. Players can't play this specific path. path. And, you know, I'm like, so why not double down? Why not? You know, well, the path is pretty much synonymous with the clan. It, it just, it's like humans and humanity. It, it, one goes with the other no matter what, pretty much. Right. And so I roll one up, and we get about... 10 game sessions in before I walk up to my GM and I lay the character sheet down in front of him and I'm like I want to retire this character he's too powerful and he's like well why you're having a great time with him you're having a lot of fun I'm like this character is just way too powerful Yeah, I, I understand now because he was an experiment and I read through the books and I didn't understand but like every game session about halfway through about the 5th game session I rated his damage output and his damage uh, resistance capabilities versus an average group of four people because these are supposed to be uh, an antagonist for your average game group and I found that versus vampires four people playing a vampire character were gonna get smoked utterly annihilated humans actually had a slight advantage above vampires they would not get annihilated immediately but they were still going to get smoked. Werewolves were a bit of a, a fight if they got up close and personal. That could be slightly problematic. But as long as I kept them at range, they were a non-issue. So we were looking at like maybe eight rounds of combat for four werewolves for me to be able to take them down. Uh, raids were a non-factor since that book really didn't translate well to the physical realm. Mages were pretty much, no matter how this combat scenario came out were actually uh, they always had the advantage because mage is a fucking bent ass game yeah but during this I walked in with the character mindset he was basically a hell broker you know my entire goal with the character was to be everybody's best friend financial advisor businessman but in the trade of souls so I was like a good guy stockbroker. Uh huh. I question if good guy stockbroker can be applied when sold well, for I'm, a stake. I'm, I'm just saying that I started out good guy stockbroker, and then you add the whole demonic aspect on top of it. 
So he's a good guy, but he really does have a long-term investment he wants to make in you. <laughs> Actually, vice versa. But anyway, so I, I start off with this, and I'm playing the character along, and it got to the point where as I'm playing my character, Charles, that was his name, as I'm playing Charles, somebody would say something, and at first it was more of a mental exercise, you know, like, how would somebody respond to this? You know, somebody would go, oh, well, you know, we should march into the nightclub, we'll, we'll confront the prince with the evidence. And I was like, well, how would Charles, hellish stockbroker of souls, deal with this situation? And I would play these mental exercises through most of it, and by around game session seven, I want to say, it got to the point where somebody would say, oh, well, we're going to go into the warehouse and we're going to take all the weapons for ourselves. And I wouldn't even have to think about it anymore. Charles would be like, actually, I have another plan. And I'd be sitting there in my chair, and I'm like, why is Charles talking in character? I'm supposed to be the one playing the character. But I played, played this thought game so many times with the character, I basically knew their psychological profile to the point where I was just playing them freeform. Mm -hmm. The character was just talking through me at that point, basically. And, you know, I mean, I was young and impressionable, and I lived through the satanic panic of the 80s, you know, and playing a demon character, you know, I was like, ooh, maybe the character's real, whatever. Yeah, there was that little sliver in my spine that said that. But all in all, I knew, in the end, the character of Charles was actually just more freeform because I'd put in so much thought into his personality. I had basically lived with this character for 12 hours a day for 10 weeks, but on my off time when I'm at work or when I'm at home, I'm thinking about the game. You know, so when I'm thinking about the game, I'm also thinking about the character and the different scenarios, and I'm doing all these mental exercises and mind games. But what really capitalized on this character, it's about a year passes by. And my old GM calls me back up and he's like, hey, you still got the character sheet for Charles? I'm like, of course I do. You know, I don't throw my character sheets away. These are essentially a role player's paintings. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't throw them away. And he goes, well, I need you to get that character sheet. And I want you to come to game because my game group, all the characters need to die. And I'm like, you do realize what you're asking me to do. You're, you're asking me to play a character who's too evil for even me to play who's too powerful and should just be an NPC. He's like, well, I need you to come in, play the character, axe the other player characters, so I can start over a new game with the, with the same group, and you're just gonna be the bad guy. And I'm like, now this is weird. I got the character for, for Charles, and my friend is asking me to play Charles. Not just in character, but actually legitimately enter the game group as a friend, as a old role player who the GM gives advice to, and play Charles playing Charles. Okay? So I, I sit in with the group and I are, and this is the weird part. I had put so much time and effort in this character in the short two, three months that I actually did play the character that I knew his mindset. So even a year later when I walked in and I sat down with the rest of the group, I was playing Charles. Live action. Walk up, shake their hands, smile. Hey, can I get you some pizza? Yeah, sure, I'll kick in. You know what? I noticed we're low on Mountain Dew. I'll go out and buy an extra 12-pack. I'm buying things for guys. I'm buttering them up. I'm shaking hands. I'm giving advice. And I work my way into this group real quick by ingratiating myself that way. And then Charles is quietly making deals with certain player characters. Somebody has to get up to take a leak, and another guy goes, well, I'm going to go outside for a smoke. Well, that leaves me alone with two of the party. So I have a little conversation with them, heart to heart, because I'm not sure about that fighter guy they got going over there with the shotgun, you know, shooting everything. You know, I'm looking out for everybody's safety here, not just my own. Everyone. I, everyone. I am interested in mutual cooperation and survival. Because if one of us dies, it makes us all weaker. Right? Right? And this of goes, course right. Of course right. So <laughs> I Loaded questions. Loaded questions. So I'm, lovely. I'm doing this ingratiating act, both in and out of character. And it comes down to it, like, I think it was about five game sessions in. 
two of the player characters finally killed the shit out of each other. Just flat out murder. I'm pointing at guy number three and I'm like, but he's connected. Remember that time you went to the police station with all the guns? And they're like, yeah, so they go gack him for being responsible for the other guy going on a fucking murder spree. And I'm just redirecting and, and, and filling out the numbers here until there's very few people left. The last two guys standing finally figured out that I was the spider in the middle of the web. <laughs> Both in and out of character. So they, they actually are in agreement. They, they're like, this guy has been buying us soda to butter us up to get him to tell, tell us stuff. He's also been pitting our characters against each other. This, this guy is a bad role player. He's got to go. And we've got to give him a message. <laughs> right. This is, of course, I was in on the take with the GM, so I knew what shit they were talking about me behind my back, and I'm like, then I'm playing Charles right. <laughs> then then, then I, he lives correctly. And then he is doing his job correctly, right? And so the other two character player characters come in to confront me, but I had already set up this big scenario, and they come walking in, and I remind one of them that I am not just a vampire. But remember that time with the fire? I was the only one that didn't panic? And they're like, yeah, you didn't panic because, you know, you had it with the GM. And I'm like, no. And I pulled up a sheet from my character sheet. And I pointed out that my character has an ability called Hellskin, which makes him immune to fire in Roshrek. And I set it back down. I was like, your characters do not have this ability. I've seen your character sheets. So... I made sure this building was flammable as possible, and I've loaded it with explosives. Can you get to the door before I teleport out? Because I can also do that. One way trip to hell. You want to come with me? Either way, your characters die. It comes down to this phenomenal blowout. People are losing tempers. Characters are dead. I calmly put Charles back in my folder and go out for a smoke when I come back in. Everybody is in agreement that I have to go. They've all just been bitching to the GM for 15 minutes while I go have my <clears throat> quote-unquote victory smoke. And the entire group basically right then and there on a Saturday night kicks me out of the apartment. And I go home. I'm like, all right, I just got kicked out of a game group. I get home. It's about two hours after uh, game sessions ended. My GM calls me up and he's like, yeah, they are pissed. You are never invited back ever, 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 ever again. And he goes, you know, I, I can now run a new game. So their old characters are dead. They're done. We've, we've all agreed to start a new game with new characters. Fresh start, you know, so we don't have the bad memories attributed to the campaign that was currently going on. Thank you. And I was like, it wasn't me, dude. And he's like, what? And I was like, it was Charles the whole time. That's what Charles does. And, and, and to get to kind of like the moral of the story, okay, because we're talking about interesting characters and you guys got your own interesting character. I totally know it. The interesting part about this is Charles became his own entity because I didn't think of him as just a character. When I first started this project, before I first laid the character sheet on a table, I asked myself a few questions. How would Charles react? Not how would he react? Or how would this character react? How would Charles react? Whenever a situation came up, especially the first few game sessions, it was always, how would Charles deal with this based on his experiences? Based on what he knows, based on the concept, how would Charles deal with this? That was the question I've always asked, we always started was, how would Charles? Not, how would this character or what should I do? It was always, what should Charles do? How would Charles go about this? And that's how it became from just a character sheet to a character that played himself and eventually was called upon a year later to kill an entire party. And be the bad guy be for the bad that guy. reason. Be the bad guy. It wasn't me playing him at that point anymore. I just sat down with a character sheet and... So it had a face. Charles became like a comfortable jacket. <laughs> I might have put Charles in the closet on a hanger, closed the door, and left him alone for a year. But when it came time, I just opened the door, put that jacket back on, and it was like I never left Charles. 
yeah. know, that second skin was there with me the whole time. So Now, do you think that after all these years, if you were to take that jacket and put it back on again, do you think it'd fit just as good, or do you think you got to give it a little conditioner, a little update? I think within a very short amount of time, I would be able to put that jacket back on and play Charles yet again. Because I... It's, it's not that I am Charles or Charles is me. Um, it's that you exist together. In, in a way, we exist together. Like, Charles is, in a weird fucking way, like, tapping into my deepest, darkest recesses. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he is tapping into parts of my personality I don't even have. Okay, I mean, it's totally imaginary. But as an object lesson, I would ask when I sat down, if I if I rerolled the character sheet, made another Bali on Path of Infernal Revelations, and rebuilt him as best as I could, you know, I'd probably have to come up with an explanation as to why the numbers are different. It's been 20 years, and he's had some time in hell to think about things. But the question I would ask when game begins would be the exact same question when game begins. Like, Say Kazrakan here sits down with a brand new character. He sits down with his Nosferatu, and his Nosferatu starts trying to uh, sell Charles some secrets. What would Charles do? Charles would look at your Nosferatu right in the eye, and he would be like, you want to know some secrets, huh? You know what? I will help you. You don't have to tell me a thing you know. I won't even tell you what I know. But what I will clue you in on will change your life forever. But... Let's start simply. Let's start small, okay? Let us build mutual trust between each other because we are both predators at heart. We need mutual trust first. And once we have trust, then we'll trade secrets. But for now, calm down. But you have piqued my interest, so consider yourself under my protection. I will definitely make an investment of you, okay? <laughs> What would Charles do? Charles would be his friend to the very end. Now I need to get you a coffee mug that says, what would Charles do? And then on the bottom is just an infernal hellgate. Yeah, on the bottom would be an infernal hellgate and just souls. And souls, the letter S would be a money sign. Like, one player, he actually, like... When I attacked his character, it was hilarious because um, he was almost clued in and I, I and Charles felt that he might be kind of a loose thing to be taken care of. I actually sent a horde of demons after him. But not just a horde of demons. I wanted to let him know who was sending these demons. And Charles is rich and he had a limousine. What he didn't tell people is that he actually had a fey creature trapped in the engine compartment to constantly fix and modify the engine while the car was in motion. <laughs> so you could you could blow the front end of the car up and it would repair itself. Actually, it was the fairy creature that was trapped in the car. He took the soul and just bound the soul to the car. Totally in the rules and shit. But the, the front grill of the car would smile or wince and the, the headlights would turn red. All sorts of neat cosmetic effects. But when I decided to kill that character and send a horde of demons after him, I stuffed my limo full of demons back in hell and then found out where the character was, got on my um, hell phone, if you want to call it that, <laughs> my 5G network, well, 6G. Hey, Satan, I, I got one for you. I, I never called him directly. Okay, what would Charles do? Charles would never call Big Red directly. <laughs> he is... He's the corporate CEO, the big guy in charge. You don't call him, he calls you. No, his assistant calls you. Oh yeah, his assistant would call you. I never communicated with him directly, but I never did anything to provoke him either. <laughs> it's all in the rules, it's all in the contracts, there's a lot of litigation, and bad things if the writing gets a kind of fuzzy. But anyway, the player character, uh, when I killed him, he was actually leaving the game, uh, you know, to go home kind of stuff. Everybody else went out for food. So I thought it would be the perfect opportunity to kill his character. And the GM bound him to, secret, to, to secrecy as to why his character didn't show up the next game session. 
And so as everybody else is going out to get food and stuff, I'm like, all right, I initiate combat. And the GM's like, well, with who? And I'm like, that dude right there. And, of course, he's like, the fuck, what? <laughs> and so I get on my 6G network. I make a phone call. I'm like, stuff my limo full of demons, as many as you can get in that fucking clown car. And I want the limo to appear at this cross street right here and all the demons to go after this target. And I point at the player character. And so in game, like, he's walking down the street and then the street rips open. Fire and brimstone pour out. And my limo, of all things, pulls out from hell. And he's like, that motherfucker. <laughs> and of course, you know, my limo pulls up and the, the headlights, you know, turn inwards and turn red and it snarls at him. And suddenly demons start jumping out of it like a fucking corn-filled, you know, goddamn clown car. And he's like, how many demons did you send after me? And I'm like, well, it's a stretch limo so I could fit. Uh... 32 of them in there right now? <laughs> it's like, I can't fight 32 demons. And I'm like, I know. That's the point. And they're going to put you in the trunk and drag your ass back to hell of your mind because we actually did sign a contract, asshole. I'm collecting and I'm silencing your character so you can't tell the others. <laughs> so I put him under contractual clause that he couldn't tell the other player characters, you know, until they were dead. But that was Charles in a nutshell. <laughs> and... The, the freaky deaky thing is, yes, the character was playing himself, and I have yet to replicate those results. <laughs> I have played some pretty good characters that actually did have a very good, uh, well-developed mindset, but I have, I don't know, maybe it was kind of like a warning sign to myself on a psychological level, you know, because you can get too invested in the character, and we've all seen the... the D&D uh, stories where somebody has a character die and they go into depression or they get all mopey or they quit gaming or whatever. Or they go ape shit. Or they go ape shit. Charles was kind of that character I had so much invested in the actual character mindset that if he did die without me going, okay, I'm retiring him, it would have sucked. Because I had put a lot of thought in that character. So I've never replicated that result with any other characters, but I have come close. Probably because if I do develop another character with such a mindset that, you know... I'm playing Evel, like Evel Fouquier, which is actually one that I developed a really strong mindset for. And Evel never got to the point of Charles. Because if Evel died, I knew I would have the same response in real life as I would to Charles dying. Because it's not just a character, it's a creation. It, every character that the player makes is a part of that player. It's you, an art. It's your child. It's your art. It's it's a piece of your soul that you're investing into the character. Anyway, I've, I've eaten like 20 minutes worth of time. I should let you yeah, guys go. Yeah, so I've actually got a good one for this. Um, and funny enough, it's not even a player character. It's a fucking NPC. <laughs> but I have had more feedback about this one fucking uh, character that I put in game just as their main point of contact, Zytel, the uh, level 10 fighter. She just has such this imposing, like, you're gonna do what I say, big mama attitude. And it's just insane. Like, I just started playing her off as, oh, it's a character you meet, blah, 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 fancy in, she retired from the military built the inn because she's always just wanted to do an inn and she still just kind of subcontracts because it gets her a little more money to do some upgrades and then she builds this in the new frontier that the country has claimed but in playing her more people just start talking about her like i've had players go home and have nightmares that zydel found out their character lied to her and they're like irl people are having fucking nightmares about her she is going through and making such big changes to characters or in the world just being there, existing, that if I ever decide to pull that dick move of like, oh, well, now this character dies, I think it would actually really affect the group. And it's one of those characters where all I got to do is be like, oh, and you're at the inn and there's Zytel and it just starts to flow, you know, real simple and easy. It's almost to the point like Grumby where Goblin, you would play Grumby and you would just... Grumby seems so natural for you to play. I mean, there's a lot of characters you can get that sort of depth with. Like, mm -hmm. uh, in my case, in sort of the same va same method as Charles was Titus. Now, 
Titus was a character I've mentioned him a few times on uh, the subject of Ruby RPG. Um, but the main thing that made Titus so well appreciated by the server that I was on was the amount of detail. And it just sort of happened. I just sort of be like, oh yeah, that's a cool reason. Let's just tack that on there. And all of a sudden, you know, I've got three quarters of his story written because I'm like, well, how did he get here? He went at Lysian military. He was the son of a blacksmith and a chainsaw repair lady, right? And da 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 da. So he's got these, you know, crazy mechanical steampunk esque thing that's kind of going for him. And he was part of a unit. He built them all special suits and shit because he's a builder. He makes things. Why not, right? And, you know, because why not? This is a team thing. We're just gonna make it so we can cruise around in these things. Just, like, park our feet down in the right, pl right places and stand right and bing, off we go. You made hoverboards. Actually, no, I made a chainsaw uh, tractor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, using the, the blade chains as grip and just scooting around. I, it, it built like a kind of an armored tank with four people. You had like a, a person, you know, Titus in the front because he was, you know, a big shieldy man. That was his whole shtick. He's he's on a path of atonement. God, right? the people who repair the roads in that universe must fucking hate you. That's why he had training blades, specifically rubber ones. They're going to hurt like hell, but they're not going to damage anything. But you say this thing was like a tr uh, like a fucking tank, basically. Still. I mean, when you've got one, I mean, six foot. Something. Tanks have uh, rubber fucking pads on them, but they still will tear the fuck out of asphalt. True enough. But you know, like one dude in the back, one dude in the back, dude in the front, gallop top with their sonic weapon, because bam, there, you, there you go, you've got an ATV. Well, I would like to say that you don't have to go on the extreme of power either. Um, there are a lot of interesting characters out there. Uh, in my case, another one of them, because we're, we're getting into actually with Titus, we're getting in the realm of uh, gaming with other people over the internet, and one of the tricks that I used, <clears throat> excuse me, I made a character named Stump. Uh, Stump. Stump. Uh, Stump is great. Stump was an oracle, just so I could have one bad leg. So I got one bad leg, reduces my speed by 10. So yeah, he's a goblin with club foot. And then I took the major disadvantage one leg. So his good leg was a club foot. His other leg wasn't there at all. So Stump was a spellcaster who had to use... Crutches. Well, not, Yeah, he had to use crutches. Somatic components. Waving your hands He's got to wave his hands while on crutches. Uh, which makes things kind of difficult. So in order to, you know, he's got to like set his crutches against a tree and like lean against it and then wave his hands around kind of stuff. And do the, uh, what made the, the elbow pinch. Yeah, you had to do the elbow pinch stuff. What made the character most interesting wasn't the fact that I tried to make him as useless as possible, which was still funny as fuck because he became like the token pet for the rest of the group. They all took care of Stump. They would give him food. They would help him out, you know... I made him specifically to be a liability to die as fast as he could. And yet, people cheer Stump on when he climbs up a fucking log. So he can see. So he can see what's going on on the other side of the log. Stands up on the log on his one bad club foot and then tries to cast a magic missile. And people are like, hey, at least, you know what? If you're doing less than Stump is, you are useless. Because at least a one-legged goblin can do 1d4 damage per round. You know, accurately. That's one of the great things is sometimes you create a character and you want to go one way with it, but it completely ends up getting sidelined because of the other player characters. I, yeah, I had no I had no personal connection to Stump whatsoever, but the other player character, other people, not just the player characters, but the people at the uh, game group... Made like, it oh my god, he's adorable! I must protect him! They did, they adopted me like, uh, they had, uh, part of the game had like a bathhouse. You know how hard it is to get into a bath with one leg? As a goblin? So I just like, uh, crutch my way up to the side of the public bath, and flop forward into the water. <laughs> Crutches and everything. <laughs> and, you know, the first time I did this, everybody's like, oh god damn, he's just trying to get, uh, pay attention 
And the GM's like, well, the water's deep, and you're a goblin with one leg. Please make a swim check. Goblin, uh, Stump doesn't have swim. So he starts drowning. <laughs> so they have to save his life, and they're like, why are you in the bath? Well, here's the other thing about Stump that made him a lot of fun. In, in just about any game you can do this, it's actually had a fantasy generator set up on the, the side, and I would type in English, hit translate, copy and paste what he was saying, and so whenever he was talking to anybody else, he was talking in a goblin. And it's, it was about comfort. six days in-game of interacting with the other people before somebody said something, Stump nods at them, and starts marching towards the door as best as he can, and they're like, wait, you understand common? And Stump just looks at him like, duh. <laughs> so that's actually what one of the things about making an interesting character, um, you know, like Stump. It wasn't the, the mathematical factors that were in it, it was the fun factors of thinking outside the box when interacting with the other player characters. It wasn't just the fact that, you know, Stump had a silly voice or any of that. It was also the fact that no matter what, he, yeah, he could understand common, he couldn't speak it. So he always chose to speak in Goblin. He was the Chewbacca of the group. He was, yeah, he was a little green Chewbacca. Well, I mean, we can think of another fun character that that I've done, at least, was uh, Shadwell. Oh, Everyone Shadwell. fucking seemed to love Shadwell. For I miss group. Shadwell. Shadwell was fun. Yeah, I've, I've tried bringing him back. It doesn't really work. You know, you ha the only way you can bring back a character is with a group of people who've never experienced him. Or, or, he has a twin brother that he never spoke of. Okay. You already met his sister, though. Who's a spy named Shagwell. <laughs> well, no, remember, Shad or no, Shadwell was his actual name. I yeah, he never used his clan name or his family name. Yeah. Good so old Shadwell. And, I mean, I just played him off as he's a druid. He was kind of chill. He was kind of hippy-dippy. But, man, did he love killing shit. And, God, did he love... You know, fucking, he, he was eventually going to ride in on basically fucking Battle Cat. That was his fucking answer. Yeah, until there was a little problem with that Battle Cat. I still feel a little bad about that, a little bit. Uh, mm. Oh, for killing uh, Stone. For killing Stone. Oh, aye, they, they killed my kitty. But yeah, uh, you know. Uh, this takes us back to last episode we recorded last week. Here we have another dwarf speaking in a uh, Scottish accent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I based him off a character out of Good Omens, uh, Shadwell, the sergeant in the Witchfinder army. Yeah, and that's specific. Well, there's uh, that makes sense. As, as far as creating interesting characters, it and it doesn't have to be a numerical value because my first example, of, my very long-winded example of Charles, was. Not just the experiment, but it was it was mostly his personality experiment as well as numerical experiment. And Stump runs the entire opposite direction as like I was trying to make the weakest, most sad, pathetic little thing. I, I basically I was making a walking bullseye who who, mm. who somehow didn't die because everybody else fell in love with him. But a character does not need to be either one of these values. Because those are both extremes. That's why I brought both of those up. Charles is the extreme on the power side. Stump is the extreme on the not-so-power side. But as you guys mentioned, Grumby... Uh, like when Thoric met Grumby in-game. <laughs> the first thing Grumby says to him. you know, He's like, you! And Grumby just looks at him and goes, Hey, what's up, dum-dum? And he kept calling him Dum Dum throughout the rest of the game because Grumby had defeated his character previously in another campaign. So this was like the only thing Grumby had to brag about. So yeah, he's going to call him Dum Dum. Yeah, he treated everybody else with respect. But And it was also uh, interesting to see the response of the group when you guys had realized that Grumby had finally realized what mortality is. And it gave him night terrors. Mm -hmm. Because oh, when, yeah. when Grumpy was first introduced, he did not understand the concept of mortality being a construct. And when he finally understood the concept of mortality, it gave him night terrors. Yeah, when you discover that your entire existence has been, oh my god, I could die! Yeah, so yeah, it, 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 it does things to you. Yeah, so it, it's a little things like that that 
the player characters attach to and gravitate towards is those relatable concepts, whether it's an NPC or a player character. It's the little things. Yeah, that, I think that's definitely the crux of what we're getting at is it's not so much the numbers or the voice acting, good or bad, or, you know, any of those things. Because I always love bringing up Peck Peck because I took a handful of numbers and three lines and made a beloved character, at least from my part of the group. Oh, I, dude, we fucking love Peck Peck. I still back you up on Peck Peck. A yeah. hundred. Dude, like, but I want to see Peck Peck. I want to see more of Peck Peck almost. Funny because. you should say that, because I tried making a Lego suit of armor for him. <laughs> Didn't work out. But Ooh, he's got a mini uh, while he's While his back is turned, uh, for those Quick, who have not heard about the previous episodes, Peck Peck was a throwaway character in a D&D game, actually Pathfinder. He, he was a boss fight. He wasn't he even was, a main character. He, was he a, wasn't a main character. He was actually like a sub-boss fight that I just had a concept for. Wrote down a shitload of notes on paper. I never even finished the stuff. And after Shadwell had died, I as a GM cannot have a player sitting. Oh uh, no, my that table. wasn't Shadwell died. That was Takumi was in a coma. Okay, well uh, I can't have a player sitting at my game table, doing nothing the entirety of the game session while waiting for his character to get out of basically jail. Or her. Uh, so I handed the character sheet over to Darth Blasphemous over here, and I'm like, I'm going to include you in tonight's game instead of having you sit on the sidelines. And here's a character sheet. You are playing the villain. These are the numbers. Roll with it otherwise. If you have any questions, ask them, and let's do this shit. And he took the character sheet and fucking owned it. Like... Here we are, I tell you what, I'm gonna be a little goblin that could, and I just got this big old chainsaw sword and go, Wee! Yeah, that that that's a taste of Peck Peck. That taste is Peck Peck, it's spooky. And actually, um, by the rules, um, yeah, uh, the first draft of rules that I looked up, I couldn't find anything, so I was actually just making a bunch of shit up, and some of it was based on the rules very loosely, but it was still theoretically plausible. Yeah, I found some new rules that nobody had talked about previously, and I figured out Peck Peck is absolutely 100% viable. Really? By the rules, he is 100% doable. I'm going to need to see these because I plan on having him appear in my Living World campaign. Um, yeah, I'll clue you in on that shit later. Um, <laughs> it's, uh... Let's just say you were on the low end of the power scale. I, um... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, power, power overwhelming. But oh goodness! I, I've had a lot of that. memorable characters over the years. And one group I was in, and I know you guys might have heard the story. Uh, I made another character that was pretty much a throwaway. The entire group is a bunch of power gamers, and I'm trying to continuously kick the habit. You know, it's, it's like being an addict. You know, you you want more. You want to get back to it. But you know, there's there's, there's other ways. There's, there's other ways, things. and there's and the end result, there's really nothing in it for you anyway, right? So, I specifically make a Vishkanya, which is a race in Pathfinder, who are based off of uh, India, the the snake women of India. I'm talking about the the country over there by the Philippines, and. So I make this Vishkanya girl with the child template on it. I make her pretty fucking useless. Like, being Vishkanya, the only thing I got out of it was like an extra 1d2 poison damage. And I specifically make her a ninja because ninjas, they're either OP or they're just... Meh. They're hit points waiting to be a new character. You know, they're one, of the, they're one way or the other. There's no midline with a ninja. I was hoping... Because I took the child template and dickered my stats around. If you've seen me dicker my stats around, that's how I'm an intelligence barbarian. Uh, I made her on the a bit on the weak side. I mean, she had dexterity coming out of the ass. That's what you do. But not much else. Especially after throwing the child template on there, she was weak sauce. Lots of dex. You're not hitting her. And if you do, she's dead. Splat. So... And I put points into, like, crazy shit you don't normally put into. Um, like, her bluff skill was off the fucking charts. Just because she lied about everything. 
ninjas. That's the way they do it. Deception, right? Well, the two main player characters wind up in the world. And the world that I'm in, the reason I'm an orphan, apparently, according to the GM, is people have a tendency to die off. There's a high mortality rate. The two guys who come into the realm that I'm in are not keen to this. They're from a standard fantasy realm where people just kill each other for their uh, stuff and for the experience of it. You know, typical D&D stuff. Right, right. Well, they walk into my realm and I meet them face-to-face or, well, face-to-mask and I bluff my ass off. Like, every other sentence, I'm rolling a bluff check. Just because I want to. You know, I'm just lying to them about how horrible this world is and how tough you've got to be. And just to be that guy, I do one, I break one of the rules intentionally. And that's when people play a rogue and they decide to follow the rest of the party while always sneaking and hiding. Anybody who's been in a D&D game and has had that one rogue do that shit gets annoyed fast. I did it to annoy the other players, hoping they would do something about it. Unfortunately, the first encounter they get into, my instincts as a player kick in, and I'm like, fuck, if I don't pull my weight, why am I even here? So I make this mad dash around the room, run across a wall, bounce off of a couple of boulders, do a pirouette, swan dive, tuck, roll, cartwheel, bounce back up in the air, and make like a perfect gymnastic landing as I plant the dagger between the 6th and 7th vertebrae of the big bad guy, making my entrance. The GM is like, wow, that's theatrical as fuck. Give me some rolls. Roll, 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 roll. Just nailing them, dude. My dice are fire. (laughs) I am hoping that I, like, jump in the air and, like, my head hits a stalactite and I get knocked out or some shit. I didn't make this character for my own fun. I made it to die and I'm just to hang out with my friends. No. Just nail all the rolls, pulling all this Hollywood off-the-shit wire-foo stuff. Make a perfect, you know, landing. You know, I could have won the fucking Olympics at that moment. Got everybody's medal. Kill the guy in one shot. Make my bluff checks to convince him that this world is hard. And that, yeah, even a nine-year-old girl is a hardened murderer. And I'm only eight. I have to be tougher than the nine-year-olds. Right? Nail my bluff checks. These guys aren't even, they're coming fairly close, but not always on, you know, sense motive. And then I tell them I gotta take a trophy, and they go to walk away because what's happening next? It's going to be too disgusting for them. So, they walk away, and I'm like, GM, I would like to make a fortitude save, please. And he's like, why? And I'm like, my character is eight years old. Almost nine. She likes to tell people she's nine. And, um, this is the first time she's ever killed anybody. And the GM is like, Okay, fine, make a roll. And I'm like, if you ever kill anything bigger than the fly, you'll understand, dude. And so I make my roll. Flub it. Totally flub. She turns around, barely has time to cover her mouth before Barf starts flying across the cave walls. And she's like, oh my god, I can't believe I killed somebody. <laughs> the other players at the table, this is the point of all of this like talking. The other players at the table stop, look at each other, look at me, and they're like, wait. Your character has remorse? And I'm like, of course she has remorse. She's a runaway from an orphanage. She's, this is all an act. Big and tough. I survived. She's just playing tough to be left alone. <laughs> this is the first time she's killed anybody and she's a little kid. This is the first time anybody, she's seen a dead body. Yeah, she's going to lose her cookies. So she's like barfing all over the place, you know, like crying and sobbing. And the other player, you know, in character, the other guys are like, wow, that little girl is so hardcore. Out of character, those guys are giving me, like, an ovation. They're clapping. They're like, that is some, like, out-of-the-box thinking, dude. It's, yeah, it's, I always love hearing it. Just adding in that layer of uh, realism to to how somebody would respond to actually murdering someone else. And, I mean, that's definitely one of the great things. It's just the stuff you do with these characters that make them memorable. They don't have to be like, oh, well, I've got to fucking 
47 in strength, and I'm just gonna beat the shit out of the thing, and I totally kill the dragon with my fucking bare knuckle. No, it... It's about what you do in the interim. It's like, oh, well, my dude's totally gonna, you know, take a holy symbol of his god and be like, you know what? Maybe I'll, you know, become a cleric. And then you've got a fucking cleric fighter or what have you. And it just gets really fucking good when you do all the extra little things. Oh, oh, my character totally, uh, he's gonna throw some coins to the local orphanage, blah, 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 you know. Those things that make them memorable. Well, things it, that make them unique, but not a fucking snowflake. One of the best things I've ever seen at a table. At, in a table. Ooh, well, now we're well, getting technical. At, well, well, okay. One of the best things I've seen at the table, and I've been participating, I've been on both sides of this, as a player, as a GM, and as an observer. So both sides, all three ways. Is when one player character goes out of their way to help another player character. Uh, the one that I've seen, and I, I was an observer on this one, a character gets pushed off of the cliff by the monster. They manage to make their deck save, so they grab a hold of the ledge, but they don't make their strength check, so they're slipping, and the GM gives them like two more rounds before they lose grip and fall down. Uh, the player character who's supposed to be standing in front of the monster tanking it screams the name of the other character takes his miniature on the battle map and moves it as fast as he can. And the GM is like, well, you're going to move through this threatened square of two other monsters. He's like, so? Hit me. I do dare it. you. Fucking do it. His character goes and he does like the belly slide thing and he reaches over the chasm and he grabs the other uh, player character by the arm. And he's like, I may not like you, but we're in this together till the end. Those two were best of friends after that. Yeah, you know, it's moments like that that really solidify a group together. Or like with my group, and I know I bring them up a lot, but they are so full of story, uh, storyable, episodable stuff. They mm, that's started. Kind of the point. They started doing blind faith throws. They had a creature they couldn't. None of them could see in the dark. It was only three of them because they split the party. Um, <laughs> so they were like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna hit a fucking mischance, All this shit." Somehow my dice were in league with the players and I'm behind the screen rolling this. I'm like, I'm not going to fuck with this. This is too good. They kept fucking making the hits. They were throwing literally just giant fucking rods that were in a fucking old mine that were used to like brace stuff or use as a fucking pry bar. Yeah, they were hitting the fucking roper. They were, they were just like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to throw a dagger. Holy shit, you did it. What the fuck? <laughs> I mean... That's what they did, is Blind Faith Throws is the big part of the group now. Yeah, and, and it's like, the luck has turned in weird ways to make that a viable thing. It's not for every group, let's make that clear right now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I will agree with that. And, you know, on the subject of out of the way to help another character, I know I shocked you when I picked on the uh, Inquisitor, the Share My Bane feat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know I know that one's yeah. sticking in your memory. And for those of you who need a refresher, I took a feat on my character that let me trade off doing damage to boost my allies. Because why not? We got a bunch of people. There's a bunch of people that are gonna hit it in a round. So I go, oh, dim, fuck that thing. Bam, tag, everybody hit it. And then the monk goes, oh, well. I get an extra what? D8 per hit? Yup. Oh. Oh. Flurry. Mythic flurry. Flurry. Kick, kick, kick. Flurry, 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 flurry. Boom, 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 boom. One round in a boss. Yeah, I was afraid. And I was actually, like, before that game session even started, I was considering bosses and stuff. And I figured that one would be slightly on the powerful side, but still doable. The one I originally had intended was too powerful and... You didn't want to subject us to that kind of torment yet? I don't like outright killing players because I make bad decisions. If I if I had chose the first demon character to come out and it was too powerful and I had my reservations about it being too powerful to begin with, that would have been on my shoulders. True. The, the player characters would have died because I made a bad decision, not because the Thanks. challenge went just sideways and there were some bad dice rolls or somebody made a bad choice that would have been on me as a GM 
Yeah, it's it's the matter of intentionally setting people up for failure. And this is one of the things, too, also when creating interesting characters or characters with good psychological backgrounds is you can't think about how you're going to dick over the rest of the party. Nobody likes a rogue who steals from the other party members. Or nobody likes an assassin who runs around trying to intimidate the rest of the party members. There's actually one in Pathfinder, a character class called Mentalist, I believe. Yep. People, almost every player I've ever encountered who does not play the Mentalist hates the shit out of it. Fucking despises this uh, character, and I can see why. And what it does is it has this like somewhat passive ability to supplant someone's ego. So basically, the by the, the if I sit down with you, Kazrakan, and I'm playing a mentalist, I can choose as a a, a player to subsume your personality and make you basically my little drone. Just by the mechanics alone. I don't even have to ask you permission. I just start doing it as long as you're in my presence. Yeah, nobody likes that. Because it takes away from another character's agency. And when creating an interesting character, if that character takes away from another player's agency, that that is a hard stop right there. Uh, Like, the last character I played, uh, the chaotic evil character I played... One of the things in there about his whole chaotic evil thing, it was mindset, but it was not like, I'm going to screw over the rest of the party whenever I can. That's not an interesting character. An interesting character is to find a way to play chaotic evil, who everybody thinks cannot be played in a group, but play it in such a way that it can. Play it in such a way that it makes sense. Evil smart, not evil stupid. Exactly. Uh... We've had whole episodes about this. Go back and check them out. Yeah, we've had whole episodes, of course. Backpack, that's an interesting story about an interesting character because you fucking owned it. Yeah. I believe at the end of that game session, uh, you were taking the leadership feat, and I just uh, said, you know, write some shit down on a character sheet. It's yours. Basically. uh, And then after that, we had to kind of flub him in because you open-ended was like, all right, we're going to do sort of a back-in-time thing. So... You get to pick which character is telling the story now. And I'm like, well, it's obviously fucking Peck Peck. But in your mind, you're like, oh, no, he's in jail. And it's like, oh, no, you said he was at the final battle. So here he is. Yeah. He'll make it. That's true. He'll make it. And he will get there. He'll make it. How? We'll get to that later. He will make it to that point. We'll figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of figuring it out, it is about time to figure out on home, guys. And not really much in the way of... uh, Rapid fire for today, I mean... Uh, well, the only thing I got is apparently Daisy Ridley, and this is old news, of course. Uh, Daisy Ridley is pissed at Kathleen Kennedy for excluding scenes, and those scenes will not be on the Blu-ray or extended. They, It's kind of wibbly-nibbly, I'm not sure, 100% on whether or not they will show up on Disney+. Plus. Disneyland itself is fucked. Yeah. Super fucked. The word's indefinitely. Uh, for the rest of this year, definitely. Uh, bird poop, definitely. Uh, safety hazards, definitely. Uh, yeah, Disneyland, you know what, if you want to know the latest and greatest on Disneyland, I'm just going to plug somebody else's stuff on here because he is way more up to date than I am. Uh, watch Overlord DVD, aka Dictor Van Doomcock. Uh, unfortunately, I don't. I've only got one Hollywood source, and I would rather remain on good speaking terms with him, so I don't repeat what he says. Uh, DVD has people who are anonymous feeding him stuff, and it's very current, and a lot of it seems to be proving true more often than not. So, check out Doomcock on that one. Also, for anybody who may have connections to any political affiliation groups whatsoever. Alright, I don't care if it's uh, PETA, if it's NAMBLA, if it's uh, the Earth Liberation Front, if it's the Republican Party, the Labor Party, Conservatives, uh, Conservatives, uh, Boko Haram, I don't care. (laughs) Uh, CCP? The CCP, do not, please, Pastor John Boyega to endorse your platform. 
Okay, he doesn't like this shit. He wants to speak for himself, and he doesn't want him people coming up and asking him or asking his agents to endorse any ideologies. He just wants to do his own thing. So, on behalf of John Boyega, who seems to be a pretty cool dude, stop it. That's me for rapid fire. Uh, more stay-at-home gaming, more stir-crazed madness. So there's not a whole lot new going on from my end of the world, aside from, like, new pretty colors. Are you guys going to play Fallout 76 with me? Uh, I don't believe I can actually divine myself to do so. The government sent me money to stay home. Ah? So I used government money to buy a game I didn't want for a company I don't like for the express purpose of, well, hoping the game falls apart under my watch. And thus far, some of the rumors have proven true. I'm having fun watching this dumpster fire uh, <laughs> up close and personal now. If I can get it at an extreme discount, because that also means I have to sit in this boiling-ass room for whatever hours we play. That, that is true. Uh, yeah, this room definitely has It a is not on a discount problem. on Steam, but I do know that the copy, when we went through uh, Target, mm. uh, it was about $25, $29. Mm-hmm. You sick bastard. Yeah, so... From this end, I'm just going to say that enjoy the summer. It's supposed to be a hot one. I'm praying for rain, people. I'm doing a lot of yard work. Peace the fuck out. This is Game Goblin heading back to my lair of doom to do some more gaming. See you next week, y'all. Kazakhan, back to the skies. Mommy, mommy, why does my elbow hurt?